Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Kirkpatrick. Um, my name's Colin. For those of you in the building and those at home, you're very welcome. For those physically here and aren't aware and haven't been out for a couple of weeks, the, the Whitley Hall is available for anyone who wants to go through there with their kids um, during the service. Um, the service will be relayed in there, so we hope you won't miss out on what's happening in here. Uh, for those at home who haven't been out in a few weeks, um, we're still wearing masks coming in uh, and while singing and while leaving, but we are maskless otherwise if you, if you feel comfortable doing so, and it's lovely to see faces, I'm sure you'll agree. But there's no greater joy, is there, than gathering together to celebrate God's goodness. And we're doing that this morning as we celebrate harvest. As we come and as we give thanks, as we lift our praise, here are some verses from Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth, who formed the mountains by your power, who stilled the roaring of the seas. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. The streams of God are filled with water to provide people with corn. You drench its furrows and level its ridges, you soften it with showers and bless its crops. The hills are clothed with gladness, the mountains are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. So let's, let's join with all creation in shouts of joy and song as we sing together, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We're going to pray together now, so let's pray. hardly begin to comprehend your power, the extent of your love or the depth of your grace. For today, as we celebrate harvest, your blessings are too many to number, and your goodness too wonderful for words. We give you praise. Creator God, we join with all creation in worshiping you. Thank you for the scent of flowers for the song of birds, for the majesty of the oceans, mountains, and sunsets. May we see your hand in all that you have made and worship you with all of our being as we serve and preserve your good creation. Lord Jesus Christ, we, your followers, need you. Forgive us that the ugly things within us become small the beautiful become large, that our fears become small and our confidence in you become large. Shrink our pride, shrink our envy, but enlarge our humility and our gratitude. We give you thanks for your love, provision, and faithfulness to us, that you became one of us, lived for us, died for us, rose for us and ascended for us into heaven, knowing that you, Jesus, are seated on the throne of the universe. We give thanks that we don't have to queue up to see the King of Kings. We're not pounding on the door requesting an audience. We have the ear of the Lord Almighty. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, as was mentioned last week, today, alongside our harvest celebrations, they also dovetail with Climate Sunday. Congregations across Ireland 
with encouragement from the Presbyterian Church centrally and our moderator are looking at and praying over climate change, particularly important in the run-up to the UN's Climate Change Conference, COP26, happening in Glasgow next month. So this morning, while we mark Harvest and Climate Sunday, we're also continuing our series, God on the Ground, in the Book of Acts. So let me assume that some of you are thinking, how does that work? How could you bring those three things together into a service? Well, they're not all that separate, as you might think. Harvest reminds us of God's faithfulness, not just through words, but also through action. On this note, if you've brought donations to Storehouse and didn't get dropping them in the trolley on the way in, the trolley will be at the exit door on your way out. But this is a sign, as are others, of our thankfulness in action. But it's also shown in how we care for his creation. Care for the earth, care for the land that produces the food that we give thanks for at harvest. And as Paul articulated in the email this week, we celebrate harvest by being grateful, responsible, and by being generous. I'm going to invite John Martin up, um, because we're going to think about this being responsible element as we spend time together in what we call our connecting church slot. This morning, we're bringing back this time tomorrow, which, as you'll recall, is when we chat to a member of our congregation about what tomorrow might look for them. Hopefully, it becomes apparent why, John, you're here. Um, So we'll start by asking you that question. Uh, Some people might recognize you or know you, but maybe don't know what you do. So what does tomorrow look like for you? And hopefully, that will shine a light on why you're here on Climate Sunday. Yeah, so tomorrow morning, uh, I will most likely be in uh, Noah's bedroom, uh, where I have been for the past 18 or 19 months, uh, working from home. Um, I work for um, the RSPB, so my role there is um, head of policy and advocacy. Um, So I work within a team, a wider team across Northern Ireland, um, seeking to bring um, change um, to our environment here in Northern Ireland. And... My role within the wider RSPB team is to do that by talking to politicians, civil servants, uh, business, um, and everybody else who will listen about uh, why the environment is is important and why we should protect it. Which brings us nicely to to a follow-up question, which is really around RSPB obviously being concerned with biodiversity, climate. What is it, and why is it under threat? Yeah, so biodiversity in its simplest sense is um, every living thing on the planet which gives us life. So the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat and the nature that we enjoy. So everything in its combination is biodiversity. Um, And the UN and other um, organizations and governments have been trying to protect biodiversity and stop nature's decline for basically as as long as we've been around. Um, The modern day environmental movement started in the 60s when we got a a picture of planet Earth from the moon, um, and there was a sense that that's all we've got. Um, So there was a lot of information and recording done since then, and since then it showed very much that nature is in decline. So I'll do a quick show of hands here for people. Was anyone outside during lockdown? Quick show of hands. So everybody, I think, um, almost instead of wanting to kind of stay inside, we went outside to find solace, to find connection with the world, to find connection with other people. Um, And that just seemed like a natural thing for people, that we were drawn to it. We know that it's good for our health and well-being. We know that it's good for us uh, personally in terms of the things that Earth gives us. But sometimes I think we take it for granted in that we consume too much. We don't think about the products that we buy. Uh, we take action that has, does harm um, to nature. So 
um, what we are doing as an organization, one of the things that we do is we buy land and we protect it. So we protect it for uh, rare, rare species, we protect it for habitats, um, but we also have started buying land now pr to protect um, the ecosystem services of that land. So we, we buy it to protect it for its benefits to water quality, we buy it for its protection to sucking carbon out of the atmosphere, etc., etc. So my role within that is to help governments to make the right choice when it comes to that. Um, so I, I say that through um, getting them to deliver a climate change bill, for example, in Northern Ireland. So we are working quite hard at the minute with the Northern Ireland Assembly to deliver a climate change bill, which we hope they will be able to do before this Assembly term. So that's one of our big priorities at the minute. Cool. Uh, that's on a, the larger scale of what you and the organization are doing. We as individuals, how can we get involved in that or what can we, what can we be doing? I think there's a lot um, everyone can do and I think I'm not going to kind of stand here and tell you about the different things that you can do individually. I think probably the biggest thing that can happen is, le is legislative change because once legislation changes, uh, we're all forced to do it without even noticing. So um, if you look at the different campaigns that have brought about legislative change in the past, a couple of decades in Northern Ireland specifically, so the seatbelt campaign, which has forced us all to wear our seatbelts in the car, definitely a good thing. Um, smoking in public spaces, again, definitely a good thing. Plastic bag tax more recently, definitely a good thing. So those all things have made change at scale within society without us kind of really noticing and we just kind of take it now as, as a done thing. So I think one of the best things we can do is actually campaign um, as people of faith um, for, things that, for things that matter within society. And I think if the church isn't saying things about uh, climate change that impacts so many people, then what are we for? So I think campaigning is something that's really important. Again, there's lots of different things we can do as individuals. Um, and I think people can kind of take up the mantle that themselves, do a bit of research online. I think it's very easy to kind of do that. So we can all make small incremental changes, absolutely. But the big change, I think, is the, the legislative one. So I think it's really important we campaign. And, and finally, you touch on you touch on people of faith. Obviously, we in this building are maybe different to those who are also contributing to positive change and, and, and policy. Is then in terms of discipleship, which is a term we use a lot here, creation care and discipleship. Biblically, what's different, and why should we, you know, take a different, slightly different approach? Yeah. So I think um, in in Genesis chapter one, we are given a mandate. Like our first job is to tend the garden. So um, look after the creation that God's provided and um, name the animals, tend the garden, look after it. So that was clear at the start. At the end, in Revelation, it says God will destroy those who destroy the earth. So it's quite clear about God's thinking on what his creation is, both ourselves and the creation here on earth. So I think there's a clear biblical mandate for us to care about creation. I think that's kind of probably been lost a bit um, over the past few decades um, for whatever reason. But I think it should be a really important part of, of discipleship. I think John Stott in his book, um, The Radical Disciple, included creation care as a really important element of everyone's discipleship. So I think we should build that into our daily lives, you know, from the food we eat to the decisions we make in terms of transport um, to the, the different things that we buy. So I think that is kind of very simply discipleship. And I think um, that probably a lot of the things that secular society is bringing forward in that phase now, Christians probably should have been doing or could have been doing for decades uh, because it's been quite clear what our role should be with the earth. So for me, I think, yeah, it's, it's absolutely part of, part of uh, people's both individual faith and our corporate faith. Great. 
Um, well, thanks so much. Um, that's been really helpful. Um, we'll take note of some of that for our prayers later, and also please do keep these things in mind as you're praying and thinking things over this week particularly, but thanks so much, John. Um, well, we're going to sing together now, and we're going to sing a song entitled God, the Maker of the Heavens, a song you'll not know, but you will know the tune in the fact that it's what a friend we have in Jesus, so hopefully thinking of some of those things we've just been talking about. So let's stand and praise God, the Maker of the Heavens. Well, as I mentioned, we are continuing the God on the Ground series, and we're doing that by reading our next passage in Acts chapter 4. So we're in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 32, and we're going to move into chapter 5 through to verse 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the seals, and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. We thank God for this reading. Thank you, Colin, and thanks to Colin and John for that conversation as well. Um, I got a message on my watch while they were speaking, which I probably shouldn't admit, but it was my wife saying, Daniel wants to know, is the man speaking you, Daddy? So I don't know which one he thought I I looked like, but um, I just want to say hello to my son and remind him what I do look like. So good morning, Daniel. It's Daddy. Um, So a couple of weeks before the end of the summer, Emma and I got the rare opportunity to go into town together. 
doesn't happen very often, and if Daniel and Esther are probably listening, but it's nice sometimes to get that time together, isn't it? And we went to a, a department store. We don't often go shopping. We're not shopping people. But while we were there, I noticed the sign beside the escalator, okay? And there was nothing too surprising. It said, lower ground, accessories and fashion, uh, ground floor, men's wear, upper ground, women's wear, and then the top floor, flannels, okay? Any of you familiar with this? So I thought, I wonder what this is. I've since discovered it's a high-end fashion retailer, all right? At the minute, I kid you not, I turned to Emma and said, do they really have a whole floor for face cloths? Of course, we went up the escalator. We discover no face cloths, but row upon row of top designer gear, okay? So you've got fashion from all the really famous designers from across the world. We immediately discovered this is not the sort of place we want to be. Let's make a beeline to the nearest bookstore. But before we did, we do what we all do in shops like that. We played a quick game of guess the price tag. I thought you might like to have a wee go with me this morning, okay? Hope I don't get in trouble for this, but here we go. Stating some facts, if you look on the screen, here's a pair of trainers, 895 pounds, okay? I want you to tell me, is this a men's hoodie higher or lower than the pair of trainers? What do you think? Shout out for me if you want. Higher? Yeah, go for it. 2,269 pounds. Let's have a look at another one. Here's a, a lady's leather biker jacket. Higher or lower? You got it. It's higher. 3,050 pounds. Should we do one more? Let's have a look at the last one. A lady's coat. Higher or lower? You know where we're going. Higher again. Have a look. 4,850 pounds. Well, needless to say, we didn't buy anything. We left the top floor of the department store. We got back on the ground where we probably should have stayed. In our weekly email, I included another little reading for you from Luke chapter 12, where Jesus says to us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want us to think about those words of Jesus today in relation to Acts. You'll know from our reading that in the email that the verses is found in chapter 12 of Luke's gospel. And I discovered this week, Luke 12 is a really fascinating passage to read in relation to what we just read from Acts. And it's fascinating too to consider at harvest and on a day when we're thinking about creation care, but we'll get to that later. Let me just begin by giving you a quick overview of Luke 12 in case you're, you just don't quite remember it this morning. As we think about what it has to say to Acts. See, Luke 12 introduces some really important themes about discipleship that are picked up by Luke in the passage we've just read together. It begins, Luke 12, with a warning about hypocrisy. And it made me think immediately of Ananias and Sapphira because Jesus has this to say, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And I thought of that tragic couple again as I read on in Luke 12, and I read Jesus' parable of the rich young fool. You remember him who stores up things for himself, and he's not rich towards God. Watch out, says Jesus. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, designer gear or otherwise. And then towards the end of Luke 12, Jesus warns his disciples. He turns to them and warns them of their need 
to steward well what God has entrusted them. From everyone who has been given, much will be demanded, he says. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And it's right in the middle of this long chapter, Luke 12, that we get this incredible um, statement from Jesus that seems that talks about money and possessions and greed, but this statement where he makes a connection between our discipleship and the possessions that we own. That how we treat our possessions and our material wealth says something about what we believe about God. Let me give you that verse again in its fuller context. Here's what we read in the middle of Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if we flip over to the verses Colin read for us, don't we see this teaching of Jesus enacted on the ground by the church in Acts? In this second snapshot of the early church's life together, we see a group of people, unafraid, boldly living for Jesus. We see a group of people united, did you notice, in their desire to be rich towards God and rich towards one another. We see a community so gripped by the Spirit, so aware of their inheritance of the kingdom, that they have learned the fallacy of holding on too tight to material things, which only crumble and fade and decay. In Acts, we see a resurrection community, an outpost of the kingdom of God, living life in abundance because they know the order of things, because they know what good stewardship looks like. You see, we read that no one claimed any possession as their own, and that's because they believed all things to be a gift from God. No one was needy among them because they believed that wealth is to be shared with others. People brought what they had and laid it at the apostles' feet because they believed that the right response to God's gift is gratitude and generosity. This picture in Acts is a beautiful picture of life together. But if we're really honest with ourselves, it's a picture that makes us quite uncomfortable. It's almost embarrassing for us, actually, as wealthy, individualistic, modern people. And I think that's because in our culture, wealth is a very private thing, isn't it? We don't like to talk about our wealth. I remember in, in Armagh, where I was growing up, the church accounts would be published every year, and they'd be written the person's name beside how much they'd given. just sort of horrifies me now to think of it. We don't like that in our culture. But as Monty reminded us last week, there's nothing private about discipleship, is there? And make no mistake, how we use our money is a matter of discipleship. Jesus talked about it a lot. How we consume, how, what we buy is a matter of discipleship. Our carbon footprint is a matter of discipleship. You see, when we recognize Jesus' lordship in our lives, his lordship over everything, including our material possessions, that's when we can experience flourishing. Flourishing in our lives and flourishing in God's creation. One commentator I read this week 
said that we must have hearts that are harder than iron if we're not moved by this reading from Acts. And he goes on to stress just how far removed we are from this life together in the picture Luke paints for us. Let me read what he says. You'll see his words here on the screen. In those days, he says, believers gave abundantly of what was their own, but we in our day are content not only jealously to retain what we possess, but callously to rob others. They set forth their possessions with simplicity and faithfulness. We devise a thousand cunning devices whereby we may acquire everything for ourselves by hook or by crook. They laid down at the apostles' feet. We do not fear with sacrilegious boldness to convert to our own use what was offered to God. They sold their possessions in those days. In our day, it is the lust to purchase that reigns supreme. Now, if you're thinking, well, this is some left-wing socialist Bible commentator, it might surprise you to learn that these are the words of 16th century reformer John Calvin. And if Calvin thought the lust to purchase reigned supreme in his day, what on earth would he make of our culture of next-day delivery and disposable fashion? You see, the truth is, I can scoff at people who buy designer gear, but am I any better? How much do I know about the clothes I'm wearing right now? Are the more affordable brands any more responsible towards the environment? Or do those who make them pay their workers a better wage than those designers? Probably not. And so I need to hear this morning, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Recently, I've been reading a book. We've mentioned this with Session and our Learning to Lead and, and discussed it with our young people in Bible class last week. It puts, the title of this book puts Jesus saying rather differently. You'll see it on the screen here. You are what you love. As Christians, we're commanded to love God, aren't we? And to love each other. But Jimmy Smith, the author of this book, challenges us to consider that maybe we don't always love what we think. And that's because the world we live in bombards us with a whole host of what Smith calls secular liturgies, habits of worship that invite us to give our allegiance to the false gods of our world. When we gather on, on a Sunday, our hearts are orientated towards a love of God and love of each other. Isn't that right? Through the sacred liturgy of the church. These age-old spiritual habits, disciplines of, of Bible reading, preaching, prayer, fellowship, and song. These ancient practices are a means of grace to us. They're the tools by which the Holy Spirit shapes us and forms us in Christ's likeness. And that's why it's so important to keep up these habits, isn't it? To come to church, to gather, to engage, even in these days of COVID-19, especially perhaps. But in between Sundays, we're met with all these secular liturgies that vie for our worship. We're enticed to store up treasures for ourselves, to be rich towards ourselves, and to give our hearts to false gods. Advertising slogans tell us we're worth it. Impatience is a virtue. Just do it. And so we shouldn't think we're immune from this as disciples of Jesus. Because however diligent our church going, however good our, our spiritual practices, 
we're affected by these secular liturgies too. I want to give you an example to try and explain this to you a little bit. And since it's harvest, let me give you an example concerning food, what we believe about food, and how we actually consume it, okay? And and I'm going to confess, I'm stealing this from another book I've read recently called Reimagining Apologetics. Uh, The author of that book reminds us that as disciples of Jesus, we have certain convictions about food, don't we? What might we say about food? Well, as we've already thought about in our service, we believe food is a gift from God. It's something to give thanks for. It's something to be enjoyed with responsibility and something to share with others. Isn't that fair enough? As Christians, that's what we would believe. But the truth is, the social and cultural world that we live in, well, it's arranged to shape our relationship with food in conflicting ways. Think about this for a second. Where we live, food is widely available, isn't it? It's easily accessible. It's produced and it's distributed on a massive scale. It comes to our table with very little direct effort from us. And on a daily basis, we're presented with a whole myriad of eating options. We live in Bally Snackamore, don't we? Commercial jingles train us to have it our way, prioritizing convenience, personal satisfaction, and obscuring our awareness of those who pick, process, and prepare our food. A cultural commitment to getting our money's worth, which we're pretty good at, combined with excessive portion size, habituate us to stretch our enjoyment to overindulgence or to waste our leftovers, deterring us from responsible enjoyment. Addiction to busyness. Are you familiar with that one? Addiction to busyness, short lunch breaks, the ubiquitous drive through windows that conspire to facilitate meals that are quick and on the go, undermining our commitment to receive food with thanksgiving. Do you get the picture? I could go on, couldn't I? The point is that we may say we believe in grateful, responsible, and generous eating, but the truth is our cultural context privileges habits of eating, visions of eating, that are in fact resistant to our beliefs. As the author of this book puts it, like the parabolic seed, our theology of eating finds itself on rocky ground. That's just one example, isn't it? But I think this is where we see the relevant of Jesus, relevance of Jesus' words in Luke 12 for Climate Sunday, and where we discover the relevance of this picture in Acts for our creation care. Because the challenges facing the planet that, that John and Colin were talking about whether it be extreme weather patterns, whether it be the threat to biodiversity or raising temperatures across the globe, well, they call us to pay attention to how we live, to our discipleship and our stewardship. They call us to confront the truth that we have been habituated by the social and cultural forces around us, forces that shape us to live in ways contrary to our beliefs, contrary to our call to be good stewards of this creation. Christ is pretty clear, isn't he, about how he wants us to live. The church in Acts is pretty direct in the example it gives us. As Christians, we're to put people before possessions. We're to steward the resources of God's good creation, the things he's given us with thanksgiving, responsibility, and generosity for the establishment of his kingdom. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke, of course, presents this positively for us in Acts 4. He gives us a beautiful vision of what this can look like. But we mustn't forget that he also gives us the other side of this picture, doesn't he? He gives us a negative vision of what it can look like when we don't do these things. We can't ignore the very sobering story of Ananias and Sapphira. Because the story of this tragic couple illustrates for us the consequence of holding on too tightly to the treasures of this world. Of getting the order of things wrong. Of thinking that we somehow deserve to hold on what we think belongs to us. But let's not forget that Jesus' promise in Luke 12 was for this couple too. God was pleased to give Ananias and Sapphira the kingdom. They were called to be his disciples, but Ananias and Sapphira failed to recognize the gift. Instead of gratitude, they showed only contempt. Instead of responsibility, they acted with dishonesty. And instead of generosity, they tightened their fists around that little bit they wanted to keep for themselves. And they tried to conceal all this, of course, didn't they? Like the the first couple in the garden who fell into sin, they attempted to hide from God. But as Jesus warned in Luke 12, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. And of course, we read that's exactly what happens. Ananias and Sapphira's deception is exposed and their subsequent undoing Through their subsequent undoing, something else is brought to light as well for us. The great lie is exposed. The great lie that we can love both God and money. The great lie that we can have our cake and eat it. The great lie that as we've heard before in recent weeks, we've only ourselves to thank. And really, we are the most important things in the world. Friends, like Ananias and Sapphira, we have been given the kingdom. That's our inheritance too. It's our task to move with God on the ground as he ushers in that kingdom. But the question for us is, are we going to hold back? Are we going to hide on, on the top floor of the department store? Or are we going to be on the ground with God? Are we going to be living with gratitude, with responsibility, and with generosity? You know, I was confronted by this, and I'm going to finish with this. I was confronted by this again on Friday. I had the sermon all done. It was written, filed away, ready for Sunday. I was back at college for a day's training, and our tutor sent us off for an hour to read 1 Timothy. And when I got to the end of letters, Paul's letter to his young um, apprentice, I was struck by these words, and I want to read them with you as we finish. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure as a firm foundation for this coming age so that they may take hold of life that truly is life.
Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, when Peter and John pray in Acts chapter 4, they lift up their voices and together cry, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Lord, they rightly acknowledged you as the creator and sustainer of all life. Forgive us when we have narrowed our understanding of discipleship in ways that make us complicit in a culture in which the lust to purchase and consume reigns supreme, regardless of its impact on others or on your earth. Father, today, may we be inspired by the grateful, responsible, and generous living modeled for us by the church in Acts. May your grace work powerfully among us so that all may look and say, see how these Christians live with fullness of life abounding in gratitude, responsibility, and generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going we're gonna to sing together now. Uh, we're going to sing, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky. So let's, let's stand and sing. Good morning, folks. It's lovely to see you out this morning. I always love a bit of feedback. Um, last week, I got some feedback from Lena Aiken saying these announcements are taking too long. She wants to get on to the singing at the end. So, Lena, I will try to be shorter this week. Um, we've really enjoyed seeing some of our organizations restarting over the last few weeks. We chatted a wee bit about BB last week. Can I encourage you, if you have know of a girl from P1 to P7, GB is restarting this week. They're meeting on Tuesday night, Tuesday the 5th in Grosvenor at 6.30. Um, and the other thing is PW is the other one that's restarting this week as well. What you'll find is just forgive us while there's a lot of sort of moving around and a bit of flexibility at the start of this. So once you get along, please chat to the leaders in charge to find out where you're supposed to be each week and, um, because there will be a wee bit of chopping and changing until we're sort of back using the halls as before. I also want to give a bit of church family news. It was with sadness um, last week that we heard that Gladys McIlvenny, a long-standing member of the congregation, had passed away on Thursday of last week. We weren't able to give the details um, by the time of the email, but just want to let you know that there's a private cremation, but there will be a service of thanksgiving that will take place in Kirkpatrick Memorial on Friday the 8th at 12.30. If you'd like to know any more information about that, don't hesitate to contact either Mary Rose or Brian Nixon. And we want to remember her family and friends in our prayers at this difficult time. In other news in the church family, we also want to celebrate some good news. John and Ruth McLean had a baby, Will, who was born on the 14th of September. And we really want to rejoice with them and also pray for them as they get used to life as a family of three. In other news, about nine months ago, Kirkpatrick Memorial embarked on the process of finding a new minister. Over those nine months, we've been in contact with several folks throughout PCI, asking them to consider whether or not God might be calling them to serve in Kirkpatrick. Over the summer, our long list shortened, and we were left with several candidates who felt that God might be encouraging them to explore the possibility of ministry in KMPC. The Bible gives guidance on what to look for in 
a church leader in several passages, not least Titus and Timothy. And it has been a challenge trying to apply those to what that might look like in 21st century East Belfast. As you'll be aware, session met with the candidates two weeks ago in what was a fairly intense process as we explored with them their calling to Kirkpatrick and what they felt God was showing them about where Kirkpatrick Memorial may be going. Following that stage of the process on that Saturday and a further meeting on the Sunday night, the elders had decided to nominate one name for the congregation to vote on as our prospective minister. And that candidate is Graham Kennedy, currently minister in Ballygrenny Presbyterian, which is just on the far side of Bangor. I want to guide you through just some of the next few stages of the process. What we hope to do is we hope that Graham will be with us on Sunday the 7th of November for two morning services and an evening service in an effort to allow as many people as possible to hear Graham in person. Our usual DG allocations will be suspended for that week and following that the congregation will have a vote as to whether or not they're happy with the nomination. As you can imagine, COVID has had a big impact on how those votes can occur, some having been by post, some having been in person over the last 18 months. We are finalizing currently and seeking advice from the East Belfast Presbytery and the Clerk of Assembly as to how best we will run that process. In the interim, can I encourage you to consider keeping the 9th and the 11th of November free in your diary so that you can be part of that meeting. We will only use one of them, but it depends whether we have to use a postal vote or not, whether we will use the earlier or the later one. In the meantime, can I encourage you to engage with that other bit of the process that I chatted to you about last week. We said as various points throughout the church building, we have printed lists of eligible voting members of the congregation as per our congregation's interpretation of the code. I'd be very grateful if you could check the list and make sure you agree with it. If you think we've included or omitted someone in error, please get in touch with me. The lists were displayed last week and this week, and it would be great if you could be in touch with me by 8 p.m. this evening. As I said last week, finally, can I thank you for your prayers. We as a session over this season have really appreciated your prayers and support. As I said last week, decisions of this nature are never easy. And can I encourage you to continue to pray as we move forward with this process. Pray for our congregation and pray for our prospective minister. Many thanks. Well, we're going to pray together now, so let's pray. Gracious God, how often we thank you we can never thank you enough. Receive our grateful and heartfelt thanks for the countless good things you've showered upon us. Lord, teach us to celebrate all that we have received. But first, to set our heart on your kingdom and not on earthly possessions. Help us show our gratitude for all your gifts by offering them back to you and offering our lives to you in service to the glory of your name. Lord Jesus, you've promised that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, but we pray for those who simply hunger for food and thirst for water. We pray for the work of Storehouse and other ministries reaching out to those in desperate daily need. We would ultimately love their ministries not to be needed, but as it is, 
We pray for strength and energy as they seek to demonstrate your unconditional love and mercy. Desiring a day when no one in our neighborhood goes hungry. Lord, we pray too for the friends and family of Gladys. Um, Lord, as they come to terms with loss, Lord, may they turn to you for comfort. Lord, we thank you for the work of John and organizations like the RSPB. Lord, we pray that you would establish the work of his hands this week. We pray, Lord, that he would reflect you as you work through him to protect some of your great creation. Lord, we pray that our local assembly as well as our wider government would be receptive to and collectively approve policy change and legislation so that we can be positive and caring for our world. Eternal God, living presence, as we think of a world in all its splendor, we thank you. This is your good creation. The climate and the ecosystems interact in ways that fill us with wonder when we pause just long enough to think and pray. Yet the further we look and the more we learn, we discern that we are not just gifted by you, but also held to account by you in your plans for this planet. Inspire us to live like Jesus, centered on you, but open to others, living so light upon the earth that neither material possessions nor unhealthy obsessions can drive a wedge between us and you. Inspire us to live like Jesus, an ethos of sharing in which all your creatures, no matter how seemingly inconsequential, are deemed worthy of love and are handled with tender care. Father, we pray that you would continue to be at the center of all we do here at Kirkpatrick. Our great and generous God, we thank you for the blessings you've showered on us these past two decades through the teaching and leadership of Christoph. Inspire us as we continue to seek vision and clarity for the next stage of the journey. We've been praying for a wise, faithful, prayerful, humble, and godly leader through the vacancy. We pray for Graham and his family, Lord, as they and we seek to discern and potentially confirm a role for Graham here. We pray that you'd lead us and his current family at Ballygrenny to greater faith and a deeper trust in you and your plans. Send us your Holy Spirit to fill us with vision, energy, and faithfulness in prayer. We pray for new life here in Ballyhackamore, new life from knowing and loving you. While we recognize the particular responsibilities of a future minister here, help us all to model your character in all that we do, making good work and ministering grace and love on our front lines. We pray that you'd give us courage to live out our faith. Help us stand out for you, carrying the message of the gospel. Amen. We're going to conclude our time together as we sing across the land. So let's all stand and sing. As chosen instruments to carry his name, may God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you uh, as you head out into this week to share his love and his care. Amen.